This week on Speedway Sounds, Formula One is under new management. NASCAR will give us some enhancements, and F1 analyst Tristan Cortez is back. We will discuss the revolution in two of America's most popular motorsports. So hello car fanatics in Irvine, Orange County, California, the United States, and around the world. It's time for those famous words in motorsport. Drivers, start your engines. There's been quite a lot of news going on in NASCAR and Formula One recently. Here to discuss is our F1 analyst, Tristan Cortez. Welcome, Tristan. Hey, Noah. Great to be back on the show again. Um, a lot of big changes for two of the world's most popular motorsports, Formula One and NASCAR. Can't wait to dig in and talk about it. Indeed. So let's start with Formula One. Major corporate shakeup, right? Yes. Big, big changes coming for 2017. So this all had to do with Liberty Media's purchase of Formula One's uh, rights from uh, CVC Capital Partners, right? Yes, correct. Uh, Liberty Media purchased F1 in September for uh, $8 billion, so pretty hefty investment there. Yeah. <laughs> and so with that, Liberty Media decided to shake up the corporate management of the sport. Tell me about that. So Bernie Eccleston, chief executive of Formula One for four decades, his reign has come to a close. Yeah, and that's part of uh, Liberty Media's takeover of F1. And they have brought in three new people. Chase Carey, Ross Braun, that name should be familiar to anybody who's a fan of Formula One, and Sean Bratches. So tell me about Bernie Ecclestone. What did he do? What was his role in Formula One? Well, his role in Formula One is basically... He was basically in charge of the whole of the whole thing. I mean, for a single man to uh, take charge of all that is no easy task. I mean, he he was responsible for, you know, getting investors interested in the sport to uh, fund the sport and make the sport grow. In his 40 years of running the business, he expanded F1 to where it is today. In the 60s and 70s, F1 was just considered, you know, just another motorsport along with sports car racing and other types like that. But he truly turned into the worldwide brand it is today and kind of the pinnacle of motorsport. The world championship. Exactly, Making, yeah. Living it up, bringing it up to its name. Right. So he was getting pretty old. He's, what, 85 or so right now? Uh, 86, I believe so. Wow. So why didn't he retire? I think he still wanted to be in charge. You know, when you do something for as long as he has, I don't think you would just step away from it, you know? I think... You know, he still has that passion, the desire to work in F1. And he kind of hinted at his departure in November uh, of last year in an interview with Martin Brundle. When Martin Brundle asked him about, you know, Liberty Media's takeover F1, Bernie Eccleston had mentioned that he might not fit with their plans for the future. So that was kind of a little uh, foreshadow there. In terms of corporate management of any business, I would think the risks of having someone that old run a company for that long, I would think Bernie Ecclestone is so attached to the traditional way of running a motorsport that it would be very difficult to have any innovation in how it's run. Not necessarily right. like in the cars. There's been plenty of innovation in the cars over the years and, and new tracks and all that and new business deals. But 
just the way and the theme of the sport, a Grand Prix ever in different countries, has been generally this static for for several decades. Yeah, um, but Bernie did extend, you know, Grand Prix to other parts of the other parts of the world. You know, like from 2010 to 2013, there was like an Indian Grand Prix, and then he's taking it to the Far East, like Singapore, Malaysia. You know, all types of different countries. Um, Russia too, yeah. Russia, yeah, Abu Dhabi. Yeah, Bahrain, Abu Dhabi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Middle East. Yeah, Asia. Yeah. You would have never see those type those pl- places like that back then. But yeah, that's a good point, Noah. Um, yeah, I I see where you're going. Like F1 has a lot of history, um, and that's actually something that Chase Carey kind of mentioned. You know, he said, you know, this is a sport with a lot of history, and history can be a good thing. But it can also tie you down at times, you know, trying to remain that traditionalist uh, form of running the business, which Bernie was a big proponent of. He, you know, was kind of wary of using, you know, social media and stuff like that, all the types of new media that have emerged um, recently. You can't deny his impact of the sport, whether you liked him or disliked him, you it doesn't matter. You have to. You have to acknowledge that he built F one to the brand it is today. Mm-hmm. So, looking forward, who are those new leaders that you mentioned? The three new leaders. Um, so Chase Carey, he is the uh, CEO of Liberty Media. He's taking over Bernie Eccleston's role as chief executive. Carey has also brought along two people to help him run the business and act as managing directors. The first managing director of motorsport is uh, the legendary F one team boss. Ross Braun, number of world championships under his belt, basically led Ferrari in their dominant run with Michael Schumacher, you know. And then, um, you know, in 2009, um, after buying, you know, the Honda F1 team, you know, Ross Braun had a, like, a 50% stake in the team. And, you know, that was the 2019 Braun GP, which ended up winning the world championship, which is pretty impressive with Jensen Button, so... I mean, this is a guy that knows quite a bit about F1. You know, he knows what it is to be a boss, a team boss in F1. He knows how teams work. And I think it's something the teams, obviously, everyone in the paddock has a lot of respect for him. And when dealing with the teams, I think they will trust in him more because, you know, he's been there at the track and all of that. And also another thing to mention, he know he basically built the foundation for Mercedes into what it is today. From 2010 to 2013, he was slowly putting the pieces together. So Ross Braun brings experience to the Formula One leadership. And also, like, since he's been there and done that, he brings kind of kind of like an inside look into the sport, as you know, that an executive like Chase Carey will not necessarily have, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a big, big plus. So I hear there's someone from ESPN. Yes, Sean Bratches. So he's an experienced marketing executive in American sports TVs who basically built ESPN into the brand it is today. And ESPN is, you know, I'd say the go-to for sports coverage when it comes to American sports. So Tristan, how do these three, how can these three work together to bring F1 into the new era, the 21st century and beyond and all that well i think first of all having a bigger social media presence because you know social media has been probably the biggest the easy the simplest and easiest way to get um 
more coverage of the sport out there and then give more content to fans already existing fans which is always good and having a trio is really beneficial because they can kind of spread out things they can work on things they can w- split the workload into what their strengths are you know you could have ross you know talking to teams and all that you could have carrie taking care of the uh you know business deals um corporate things like that and then you have sean who's out there marketing you know whereas with uh bernie you know he would have to take on the whole load himself i mean he's proven more than capable but i'm sure that he spent a lot of times focus on other things kind of you have that time conflict because you know at the end of the day it is just one one guy and there's only so much that one guy can do but with three each respective field can be strengthened to its most potential so what are some of the proposed ideas from them already some of the proposed ideas that they have talked about is making f1 more of a spectacle you know carrie said this um he says i want 21 super bowls kind of have each grand prix as big as the super bowl which is kind of a it's kind of a week-long thing if you look at it you know there's like media coverage even before the game probably as early as thursday yeah so kind of talking about having a uh a city where people would want to go for three days four days or maybe a week and have the race be the entire the centerpiece of the event like a rule is i hear that they're interested in more u.s races since liberty media is a u.s based company yeah, definitely. Um, they even talked about extending the season to uh, 23, 25 races. But, I mean, if you want to bring more races to the U.S., bring it, pour it on. I mean, that's something I definitely want to see, you know, more F1 involvement in America. Because right now, Formula One is, is behind, uh, behind NASCAR, and it's about the same popularity as IndyCar. In the States, right? You're talking in the about, States, yeah. Yeah, because I know worldwide F1 is... You know the top but yeah definitely here in america they lack a lot of uh, yeah, exposure yeah people are more likely to hear of nascar than formula one definitely because yeah. formula one only has the united states grand prix it's once a year it's in texas they're only able to reach out to the locals there and then just uh, the diehard f1 fans willing to travel halfway across the country or even from other countries right. to see the race right so if you have numerous usgps you know you could have you know more opportunities to spread the sport and also have um you know more fans because you know not everybody can go to texas you know just to see that race so if you let's say you have like four races in the u.s there have been talks about having one in las vegas miami i mean las vegas is not too far from here so i wouldn't mind that mm-hmm. they've um, had it before this, this used to be used to be called the caesar's palace grand prix i think it was in the 70s or 80s oh really i didn't know that yeah um yeah, but definitely that's something that that will help F1 since Liberty is a American company. They definitely want to get more coverage to the sport in the States. So what about the new relationship between the brand new management and the constructors? How how will that improve? Or will um, it? Well, Kerry has so far reported that he has been with team bosses since becoming the chairman in September when Liberty bought um, F1. But I think the first test for their new management would be if they can get the teams to regularly agree on uh, issues or, you know, whatever the new management's trying to do. Because F1 teams are notorious for disagreeing on almost everything. <laughs> and uh, former Formula One world champion Damon Hill 
uh, who's now part of Sky Sport that covers F1. He's likened attempts at um, a consensus to herding cats. So really? <laughs> uh, it's not an easy it's not an easy thing because you know yeah. the interests of teams are far and wide, and so um, I think that'll be their toughest challenge. But I think you have Ross to, uh, like I said before kind of ease that relationship because you know he's a guy that's been there and has plenty of experience working in a formula one team so speaking of teams i remember last time on our first show we talked about the manor racing teams uh entering administration and all that and their parent company having financial issues what's been the outcome of that what's the latest news well sadly noah the Manor F1 team has collapsed after the administrators failed to find a buyer for the uh, 2017 season. So they will not be on the grid, so there will be 20 cars for the 2017 season. And that means all three of the new teams from the 2010 season have failed financially. Yeah. Um, yeah, so pretty unfortunate. And so the administrators of Manor were in talks with uh, would-be would be buyers, including um, an Asian consortium, but... There was no, no deal that could happen in the time frame. You know, the season is, you know, testing is only is less than a month away. There was no deal that could happen in the time frame to save the team. So the collapse was imminent. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is all the people that worked in the team will be paid for in January. So that's good to hear that. What other changes does the Liberty Group want to make with the constructors? Changing the governing of F1 to keep it a lot simpler because it's, you know, pretty convoluted. And sometimes not the easiest thing to understand and not the easiest thing for the teams to accommodate for. And a big, big thing they're talking about doing, and Ross Braun has been very vocal about this, a big proponent of this, is overhauling the money distribution system that we talked about um, the first week of the show. So the smaller teams can stick around longer. Braun has said that F1 needs these small teams and F1 has to provide a space for them to foster and grow as a team. And financially thrive, right? Right. So hopefully Manor is the uh, last team we see fail to return to Formula One World Championship because of money issues. You're listening to Speedway Sounds with Noah Stein on KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. So that wraps up our uh, discussion about Formula One. Let's move on to NASCAR. NASCAR has made some revolutionary changes to their races, some of the biggest changes in close to 12, 13 years, ever since the introduction to the chase. They've restructured the point system, they've changed how you qualify for the playoffs, and they've added, they've added more emphasis to being consistent throughout the entire regular season and being more aggressive during the races themselves to fight for position. So here's what's changing for 2017. It was announced last week at a press conference. The races are going to be split into three segments. Race distances are traditionally 400 to 500 miles. They'll have segment one end at about 25% of the distance. They'll have segment two end at about 50% of the distance. And then the third segment will be the checkered flag at the end of the race. At each of the first two segments, 25%, 50%, the top 10 cars earn what is essentially a checkpoint bonus. They get 10 points for first, nine for second, and so on, only for the top 10. And this will definitely make the battle for 10th place even more exciting at every stage of the race. So now there are two different point systems. There's the the race point system, and then there's the playoff point system as well. The playoff point system applies exclusively to the 10-race playoff at the end of the year. 
Even more special is that the winner of each stage, stage 1 and 2, receives a playoff point, which adds to their total at the start of the chase. This means drivers can earn a playoff advantage in even more ways than before. And as long as a driver wins or qualifies on points for what was used to be called the chase, they can use those playoff points to avoid elimination in each round. At the end of the race, points are awarded to all 40 cars. The race winner earns a spot in the playoffs and five playoff points to add to their bonus. This is similar to how it was done before this year because NASCAR would award three points for each win at the start of chase. So if you had four wins at the start of the chase, you get 12 points. If you had one win, you get three points. And if you had zero wins, you wouldn't get a bonus at all. So Noah, you talked about having a two different point systems. So there's a point system for winning races. So the tradi- the is it is the first point system like the same point system they've been using? Actually, the traditional point system has also changed. That's how revolutionary these changes are. They've they've oh, done wow. away with a lot of what has been going on for the past five or six it's, years. It's a complete overhaul then. It is a complete overhaul. So at the end of the race, so usually what they used to do for the end of the race is for the 40 cars, they'd, they'd get 40 points for the race winner, 39 for second, 38 for third, etc., all the way down to one for the last car. And then they'd give a bonus point for leading a lap during the race and another bonus point for leading the most laps. That has completely changed. They still start at 40 points, but second place receives 35. And then that goes all the way down to, uh, I believe, 35th place receives two points. And then 36 through 40, if they only get one point each, there's no benefit to finishing 36 over 37. So why does second place get 35 now? Does five of those points carry to the playoff? Or no, they don't. It's just for the regular... Those five points are for the regular season. The, the 40 points for the race win add to the regular season total. And they just want to... I'm, I'm sure NASCAR, they want to multiply the incentive for winning races. They want to give extra points for, for battling for the win and, and mm-hmm. reaching the checkered flag first. Uh, so there's a five-point difference instead of a one-point difference now. So not only that, there's even more incentive. At, at the end of the race, if you win the race, yeah, you get your spot in the playoffs... And then the five playoff points as well. That means when you start the chase, what was called the chase, now the playoffs, there will be varying differences in who gets what points to start. If you have uh, someone who wins five races, you'll have them be 25 points ahead of the other driver at the start of the playoffs, plus whatever points they earn at the stages, which means that there could be huge differences between someone who does extremely well in each race in the regular season versus someone who won one race and then had a, a subpar season for the rest. Right, so if one driver dominates, they're leagues ahead of the competition in terms of securing the title. Exactly. They can completely take over the table if they perform very, very well in the regular season. Yeah, and they can. that will help them avoid elimination after three races. I'm sure one of the reasons they did this was that if you do really well in the regular season but have a very bad race, those first three races in the playoff, you would be eliminated from the playoff. That happened to Jimmy Johnson a couple of years ago. He had a good regular season and was expected to be a contender for the championship, but was eliminated after a, a mechanical failure at Dover. What stays the same is that in the playoffs, the bottom four drivers out of 16 are eliminated after each three races. So 13 through 16th are eliminated after th- race three, nine through 12 after race six. But you still have that final four showdown in Homestead Miami Speedway where the winner, it's a winner-take-all race. That still 
happening. So that exciting element of the championship will remain. Interesting that you mentioned that particular thing with Jimmy Johnson because these new changes come after Jimmy securing his uh, seventh championship. Yes. (laughs) So what's very, very interesting is that NASCAR has changed the rules twice now the year after Jimmy Johnson wins his championship. This past year Jimmy won his seventh NASCAR championship which ties the record and back in 2013 he won his sixth championship. In 2013 uh, 14 offseason they changed the chase so that if you win you're in. You're in the chase. Right. And that's all you had to do and if you didn't win you could get still get in on points. So Jimmy Johnson in 2016 he won at Atlanta and at Auto Club Speedway. And then he had a subpar summer. He had a very bad summer. But at the start of the chase, he kicked it in the high gear like he always does. He <laughs> kicks in the high gear, and then he won at Charlotte. And then he won at Martinsville to, to move on to the next rounds. And that got him to the championship finale. And by luck and, a, and an amazing drive from the back to the front, he won the championship. But many people b- believe that the chase artificially helped him do that so nascar wants to reduce because of the uh the way the system works right yeah nascar well the way it worked before Mm -hmm. the way it worked before so this time now that uh now that nascar has changed it again this should this should uh set jimmy johnson back even further if he has the exact same season as he does last year he probably will not win the championship right he needs he needs to be up front in a lot of races this year in order to have an adva- have that same advantage if he wants to win his eighth. Same with any driver. You have to be you have to have an advantage through the whole season now. And it benefits doing so. It benefits having that advantage. Right. And one more interesting thing I want to comment on too is the fact that they did change the name from the chase to the playoffs. Right, Noah, because that kind of likens the the drivers driving to, you know, playing. It does. And yeah, it's, but the reason they did that, from what I've been reading throughout this whole week, is that the chase has been associated with so much revolution in the sport that it's become a term, a negative term in the sport. And so NASCAR just wanted to get back to basics. When, when you ask someone what the chase is, or when you explain the chase to somebody, you always have to say that it's NASCAR's version of the playoffs. That's, that is the definition of the chase. And so the chase on its own doesn't... Ha- the, the word lacks definition until you add the definition. I don't think that's really NASCAR's fault. I, th- I just think it's the way that, you know, Americans are used to, um, you know, sports, you know. In basketball, football, all of, all of that is referred to as playoffs. Because, you know, we are so accustomed to hearing that word. So. Exactly, yeah. And then I noticed during the advertising for the chase for the, for the Cup last year, I noticed that they started referring to it. NASCAR's ads themselves or NBC's ads themselves started referring to it as the playoffs. That was probably an experiment in marketing to see if this would be a good change to make if the chase was a bygone term. And they, they must have seen something positive from that. And that's part of the changes. By the way, these all these changes are not from NASCAR's corporate management. They're from, they were inspired by a group of, of industry leaders who all met over the offseason to discuss these changes. They included drivers, Brad Keselowski, uh, who drives the number two Ford, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr., who drives the number 88 Chevrolet, and Denny Hamlin, who drives the number 11 Toyota. They all met with 
leaders of the track. So he had uh, he had people from Speedway Motorsports Incorporated who owns half of the about half of the tracks, and then International Speedway Corporation who owns the other half of the tracks. He had the presidents of all the teams: Stuart Haas Racing, Hendrick Motorsports, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, Stuart Haas Racing, Roush Fenway. They all met, all these industry leaders met and discussed what can they do to improve the excitement of the sport. And no doubt this format will bring drama into each race by making it three races in one sitting. So you have the race to the first segment, the race to the second segment, and the race to the third segment. Everything else, although these are fundamental changes, a lot remains the same. You you still have uh, 40 cars from three manufacturers racing on an oval at a distance of four to 500 miles usually. All that stays the same. At the end of the day, this should still produce a champion that who is one of the best drivers in the sport. Exactly. And without question, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, the last three champions in the of the of the recent format, the most recent format, were worthy champions. I cannot wait for Daytona, and actually they're actually giving points for the very first time in, in the Daytona 500's history. They are giving points in the regular season to the qualifying races, the Can-Am duels. And so each, all the drivers in each of those duels have the opportunity to earn t- up to 10 points for winning that race. Wow, that's uh, pretty revolutionary too. That in and of itself, you know, going along with all those changes. Um, so this was kind of a uh, consensus where they all agreed that this would be, you know, the best way to go, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're also representatives from the found council, I believe, on that, on that general council for the, for the new rule changes. And then when you mentioned about, you know, having like three races in one, um, I think that kind of addresses the problem, you know, a problem that you were talking to me earlier, you know, when you try to get, um, you know, an average person to watch an NASCAR race, not necessarily a fan. It's very tough to do that, um, you know, because they're lengthy. And um, I think having those segments is their solution to that problem. I totally agree. It's it's the best way to, to change it to sort of a heat race format where you have multiple races and it's it's sort of a hybrid between heat racing and stock car endurance racing, which is what this is. Right, yeah. So, again, more drama. So that does it for, this, for today's edition of Speedway Sounds. Thank you so much, Tristan, for joining me in this conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. It was, it was great talking about, you know, F1 and NASCAR. Um... Can't wait to see what 2017 holds in store for these two beloved motorsports. I agree. Follow the show at Speedway Sounds, all one word, on both Facebook and Twitter for show previews and your opportunity to ask my guests a question. Next week on Speedway Sounds, I'll discuss this weekend's NHRA Winter Nationals drag races at the Auto Club Raceway in nearby Pomona. Up next at the 5 o'clock hour, Beer Ambassadors with Michael Woodward here on KUCI. Thank you so much for listening. Always wear a helmet and never ever drive distracted or under the influence.